How many of you love truth this morning? We should be truth lovers. Everybody love the truth today? Yes. Amen. Well, that's what my topic is about today. We're going to talk a little bit about truth. We're going to talk a little bit about what truth is and, and what is the, the, the main institution of truth. And that is so important. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy, the third chapter in the 15th verse. We're going to begin there with Paul talking to uh, Timothy, a young minister, uh, who actually took over his church. Uh, in Ephesus, and as we can see here, that uh, he gives the qualifications of a bishop, then he gives the qualifications of an elder, and he's really talking about how we're to conduct ourselves in the local church. We're really talking about the type of people that should be in leadership in a local church and what the qualifications for those type of people really are. And those are pretty stringent. And you look, there's 17 of them, and one out of the 17 has to do with ability, all the other, or 18. 17 out of the 18 have to do with character, and one has to do with ability, apt to teach for those who desire the office of a bishop. And then he goes through and he talks about deacons, and he talks about testing them, how they need to be tested. And, you know, you just wonder, well, Pastor, but why are you asking me to do so? Well, you know, sometimes we just need to test you and see, are you willing to serve and, you know, to show up and stuff like that. And then it says, those who are tested. It says some amazing things. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a great degree, a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Purchase a degree. What does that mean? I looked that up and I studied that out. It means a threshold of going. It's like stepping up a step through a threshold, through a door, going through a door to the next level in life. Something about our serving in the local church has a profound effect in the advancement of our life in the kingdom of God. You can see how when in Elijah was served by Elisha uh, for 25 years, you can see that 40 years Moses served under Jethro. We can see that Joshua served 40 years under Moses. We can see that Paul, T- Timothy served under Paul. We can see this dynamic of service. You know, David served out in the field taking care of the sheep, and the thing that he was learning there, little did he know, was preparation for his great coming out day of advancement when he killed the lion and the bear and he learned how to kill Goliath when he didn't even know that's what he was being trained for. How, you know, you may be being trained for something that you have no idea what God has next in store for you, but if you'll be faithful to it and you'll do it even in the obscurity, uh, those things, those private disciplines done in private will have public rewards. Jesus said if you'll pray in private, your father will reward you openly. If you'll give your alms in private, he'll reward you openly. Uh, if you'll uh, pray and fast, or fast in private, he'll reward you openly. Those, there's something about what we do in private disciplines produce public rewards. And there's something very powerful about the deacon, and there's something very powerful about the elder. There's something very powerful about God's house that there's no other institution like it. But in 1 Timothy 3.15, let's look there and let's begin. It says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how that thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, this next part, I want you to pay attention very closely to. And this is, this is really profound, which is the church of the living God, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And that's what I want to talk about today, the house of truth. We've been talking about the house of God for the last several weeks. First, we talked about Jesus says that the local church should be the house of prayer. Next, we talked about it should be the house of store or the storehouse that we bring in the resources for the kingdom, spiritual and natural resources. Then we saw it was the house that God wants filled in Luke 14 and 23, where they're sending and bringing in the lost, the house that he wants us to have filled. 
And then today we're going to talk about the House of Truth. In Boston, uh, you know, the University of Boston is a, is a great intellectual center, and there's a place called Boston Square where everybody comes and they, and they espouse the, the high platitudes of intellectualism and all the philosophical ideas of the world and all the intellectuals gather there and all the smart people and all the Ivy League type people come there and, and say they're, they're, they're great and profound things. And one of the professors there got up in front of everybody in Boston Square and he made this big proclamation and pronouncement as if, you know, people didn't know. It, it says, there is no such thing as truth with the advent of, you know, moral relativism and, uh, and situational ethics, you know, uh, that was real big 20, 30 years ago. Everybody it was coming into our schools. It was coming into the mainstream culture, and everybody was talking about, you know, that my, my truth isn't necessarily your truth, and what truth is good for you may not be the right truth for me, and everybody's got his own little brand of truth. And it's syncretism, and it's all thrown together in a batch. It's stirred up. It's kind of like a lot of people's heads, and kind of like a lot of, pe- a lot of people would understand concrete to be. It's full of rocks, all mixed up and finally set, and you're never going to change it. Unfortunately, that's the way a lot of people's brains are. But it was, it, it, it was a great falsehood that, that, you know, he got up and declared, there is no such thing as truth. And then one of the theology professors came up and said, sir, my friend, that is a false statement. And immediately he retorted and said, no, it isn't. It's a true statement. He said, just a second ago, you said there's no such thing as truth. And see, so many people, because they don't know what truth is, They're very confused out there. Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth in John 18, 38? Little did he know he was talking to truth embodied and personified. See, that's because truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, we're talking about the house of truth that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. See, in John 17, 17, Jesus said this. He said, Father, sanctify them in his high priestly prayer for his disciples. He said, Father, sanctify them with thy word, for thy word is truth. See, for, in their place, you know, John says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We have two different things that are called truth in the New Testament. Jesus himself declares he is the truth. And Jesus declares that the word of God is the truth. And why would that be? Because 1 John 1 says this. It says, for in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God and his word, Jesus and his word are the same, and they are both truth, and you can't separate them. There's something very powerful about that. And you know, truth is an important issue. Jesus said in John 8, 30, and 32 that when he had spoken to disciples, many believed on his word. And he says, you shall know the truth. If you continue my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And many, he spoke the word, and many uh, believed on him, it says. And then it goes on in that next verse, and it says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. How many of you know you don't need necessarily healing from God? You don't need deliverance from God. You, you, don't, you don't need all these things that sometimes we seek after. You don't need prosperity from God. You need truth. And when truth comes, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Because, you know, your sickness might be caused by what you're eating. And you could get a, a gift of healing, and you could get healed, and, and that's wonderful, and we're all excited for you. But you go back and keep eating the same way, keep doing the same thing, your sickness will come back. But the truth of the matter is maybe if you adjust what you eat, then it will not only take care of your sickness, but it'll take care of it ever coming back. Can I get an amen? 
and you might just be getting more in line with God's word to begin with, so it, it keeps you from ever getting sick, and you're walking in divine health instead of a need for healing. And so, you know, there's just something about truth. Truth transcends everything. You know, wisdom is told to be the paramount thing uh, to seek, and, 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 you know, don't seek silver and don't seek gold, but seek wisdom, it says, for it is the principal thing in the eighth chapter of the book of Proverbs. And the reason why you seek that wisdom, because wisdom really has to do with truth. And truth is the thing that sets us free. Now, let me, let's, let's go clear to the, upper, to the opposite side of the spectrum, clear to the other side of the scale. And, you know, we know the truth and the truth makes us free. What happens when we reject truth? You know, they profess themselves to be wise, but they became fools, it says, because they did not like to retain uh, the truth of God or the word of God in their consciousness, it says in Romans, the first chapter. But let's go over, and this is a very profound, almost a very frightening scripture about how we handle, deal with, interact, and receive truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 10 and 12. Because when you begin to understand that truth is, the, is, is almost the whole deal of what we're dealing with, because, you know, it, it's, it isn't just that we're accepting Jesus, but we're accepting the truth about Jesus, that he is our Lord and Savior. The truth about Jesus tells us we need to repent and come to him. It isn't just his person, but the truth that his person uh, reveals that really is so profound. And so as we look here, we're going over to 2 Thessalonians. And this is a dire warning, again, by the Apostle Paul. And what he says especially is applicable to the last days and the way that people think. 2 Thessalonians 2.10, it says, And with all deceivableness, everybody say deceivableness. And how many, how many you know, multiple, you know, syllable that is, deceivableness. With all deceivableness and of unrighteousness in them that perish. See, you'll know the truth and it'll make you free. See, Truth is a life or death deal. Truth is really life or death. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth. Perishing has to do with not loving the truth. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. And the knowledge he's talking about is the word. And Jesus said, my word is truth. So really you could say for a lack of truth, my people perish. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Being saved is an issue of loving truth. That's a very profound thought. And for this cause, God shall send a strong delusion. Now, this is even more frightening. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Notice the antithesis of truth is unrighteousness. So we can see that they're destroyed because they receive not the love of the truth. And it says they'll even be deceived and they'll be damned on the basis of how you interact with truth. How many of you notice in the culture today there's a lot of false thinking? There's a lot of false thinking. And there's a lot of false presuppositions and, and, and narratives and the framing of things and contextualizing things that just simply isn't true. You know, you can be so subtle with deception and non-truth. There's so many ways the devil is so subtle and in so many ways the way he does that. But the Bible says that the local church, that the house of God, you know, the house of God really is a reference to the local church. You know, God, God comprises humanity. He breaks up humanity into these things called family units. 
He also breaks up the body of Christ into these units called the local church. And the Bible says that the house of God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. In other words, it's the framework that holds everything up. It's the foundation. Everybody say foundation and framework. The local church is the foundation. It's the bedrock of it because Jesus is the cornerstone. And it is the framework. So it holds it up. But not only does it hold it up, it also holds it together. Because when you talk about the pillar and the ground, you know, we got a pillar over here. And then there's, you know, this isn't ground, but we got a floor or a foundation, a foundation that holds it up. And then we got this big old fat pillar right here uh, that, that structurally holds up other things. Now, these are, are fake. They aren't real, really structural. But if we were in an old Roman building, we would understand Paul to mean that that is what holds it all up. And we would understand that it has to have something underneath it, which is Christ. And, and it is the pillar and the ground, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And when we understand that, in other words, uh, it's this truth that holds everything up in society. It's this truth that we have in the church house that holds up the family, that holds up the church, that holds up the civil government. All, God's, all three of God's institutions are held up by, you know, the way the church relates to the family and the government is very different than the way the government relates to the family and the church. The church is the one that God has given the equippers to. And God has set in the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. They are the equipping ministry. You know, the civil the sacred governance, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 calls the office of governance. It's really talking about those who are pilotage or those who are leaders in the church. It is different. The sacred governance is different than the civil governance. The civil governance is given to us in Romans 13. Romans 13 talks about a governance of lawgiving, lawgiver, judge, and king. And, and really, you know, Isaiah 33, 22 talks about the Lord is our lawgiver, judge, and king. That's where we get legislative branch. That's where we give judicial branch, and, and we get executive branch of government. So we get three different branches. And, and, but see, in, in the church, it's, it's elder, deacon, and, uh, and congregation, and saints, it says in Philippians 1, 1. But when we understand these things, we can see that God has this very powerful institution, the church, and it is the pillar in the ground church. He doesn't say the family is. He doesn't say government is. He says the church is the pillar in the ground of the truth. Why is that? Well, as you look at that, you can see some things that really distinguishes it from others. It's really where the truth tellers are and the equippers are. And, and when you look at that, John you know, 18 and 20, it says wherever two or more. See, Jesus is in the church, inherently in the church. He's not inherently in the government. He can be in the government, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. He can be in the government if the government gets sanctified. He can be in the family if the family gets sanctified, but he can't be in the church. He can't not be in the church because he is the church. Does everybody understand that? See, it's inherently different. And the local church is inherently different because he says, wherever two or more, and that goes believers, to those who have Jesus living on the inside of them. There's something that causes Jesus to make himself manifested. See, you know, have the omnipresence of Jesus, who's everywhere, through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And then we have the manifested presence of Jesus, which is very different. You see, when you have the manifested presence of Jesus, then you have tangible anointing and, and things going on 
in the church house. And he says, wherever two or more are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of thee. Mr. Truth shows up because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And wherever two or more are gathered together, there is he, and he is truth. That cannot be said of the other two institutions that that inherently is a truth in those other two institutions. You see, in the church is where Jesus operates from. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail, and I will build my church. He is the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, the church. That's where Jesus is. That's where Mr. Truth, Jesus Christ, resides, is in the church. Can I get an amen this morning? We've got to understand that, number one. And we, the church, are the manifest The church is where Jesus is, the manifest presence of God. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are his body. We are his carriers. We are his presence in the world today. We are his ambassadors sent forth to bring the message of reconciliation, it says 2 Corinthians 5.19. And when we begin to understand that, we begin to understand how important the church is. And, you know, when I look at that, I see that that's where Jesus is. It's also where the word of God is. Ephesians 4, 11, 12, God has set in church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What do, those all have in pro- what do those all have in common? They're all logos ministers. They're all preachers. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Some people believe it's just pastor, teacher is one. But any way you cut it, they are all logos ministers. They make their way You know, they that preach the gospel are to live by the gospel. They are professional preachers. The tithe is to be given to the Levites. They are not supposed to do any other job or make money any other way except be in the temple doing sacred work. That Paul really reiterates that in 1 Corinthians 9, that the only thing that the preacher is supposed to do is be busy. And we see that in Acts 6, 4, where it says, it is not good for us to leave tables and wait on widows, but we will give ourselves wholly to the word of God in prayer. It is the place where there are professional word-studying, word-preaching, word-producing, word-imparting, word-equipping activities taking place is in the local church. Can I get an amen? It's a very unique thing. And God says, the preacher is not supposed to leave the word of God in prayer to go serve tables or do anything else. That, he, that they that preach the gospel are supposed to live by it. They're not supposed to have other incomes. They're not supposed to be hobby preachers. They're supposed to be totally 100% dedicated. And those who are, uh, who are very strong in the word are even double honor in their prayer. And, and there's this great emphasis on get somebody paid to be the specialist to do this thing, the word of God, and so he can get the saints equipped with it. And this is a unique place with a unique activity that there's nothing like it in all the world except in the local church. And see, Jesus' word is truth. It says studying of truth is taking place. Preaching and teaching of truth is taking place. The inculcating of truth in little children is taking place. The living and demonstrating of truth is taking place. The praying out and seeing people receive truth and you shall know the truth and you... The truth will make you free. That all takes place in the church. How many of you know it doesn't take place in the public school anymore? How many of you know it doesn't really take place in a lot of families anymore? And unfortunately, even in some churches it doesn't. 
But theoretically, according to the word of God, this is the place where the word of God is to be taught. And the faith and the truth tellers and the truth equippers do their work in the confines of the local church house. So truth is in the local church. It is the pillar and the ground of the church. Now I'm going to say this. The, Lord, the Lord's house or the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth in three different houses in three different ways or three different expressions. And this is what I really want to get down to today and talk about. Doctrine for the house of God, policy for the house of government, and faith and practice for the house of family. That this place that you come to on Sunday morning, this place where you bring your tithe, this place where you're called to be faithful, this place where you serve, this place that God calls the pillar and the ground of the truth, you should love it because it's the difference between knowing the truth and the truth making you free or being turned over to a delusion, it says in Second Thessalonians. And those who don't love the truth will be turned over to a delusion so that they might be damned. This is the place. This is the beacon. This is the place where it emanates from. This is the place where it's supposed to come from and that we're supposed to be full supporters of. Because if how many of you love truth this morning? Then you should love the pillar and the ground of the truth. See, if you have a love for the truth, that should carry over and that should be expressed for the place where truth is emanating, should be emanating from. If you love truth, you really should love the pillar and the ground of the truth for society. We really have to love the local church. We really have to love what God is doing there. We really have to understand that it is a very profound, nothing like it type of institution. And it affects everything else. You know, when I was, when I was in, uh, in classes, my professor would say, what happens in the pulpit always shows up in the culture 25 years later. You can see that like with social justice, that, you know, millennials worship social justice. And let me tell you something, there is justice in the Bible, but it's not the socialist brand of social justice. And it's really true that when there starts to be a dumbing down in the pulpit, there'll be a dumbing down in the people not too many years after. There becomes a liberal slant in the pulpit. There'll be a liberal slant in society later. Because the guy on the street didn't hear it from the pulpit, but he heard it from the backslidden guy that goes to church that he works with many times. Let me tell you something. Or, or, or he might hear it from the guy who's really walking with God to the good. So the, from what happens in the pulpit will eventually find its way onto the street. And so if truth gets corrupted there... It says that the foundations be moved, then what can we do? In other words, it almost becomes a hopeless situation. So number one, there has to be doctrine in the house of God. And I want you to turn first and, for, and foremost over to uh, 1 Timothy. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. See, and, and one, one doctrine in the local house of God is that in Philippians it talks about the, the elders, the deacons, and the saints. You know, elder, deacon, and saint. God has a governance in every house. The elders are like the father, the deacons are the helpers like the moms, and the saints are like the children. The elders are the spiritual authorities. The deacons are the ones called alongside to help in the lay, more the lay people. And then the saints are like those being developed to be elders and deacons, being developed to go on to the next level, find out who they are and what they're called to do. You go into the house of government, you got... You know, you got lawgivers, judges, and kings. You go in the house of family, you've got mom and dad, and you've got children. 
You go to the house, God is, is a house, and he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father would be like Father, Son would be like child, Holy Spirit is like Mother. Because when you look into that word helpmate, paraclete, you'll find out in the Old Testament Hebrew that in chapter 2 of Genesis that that same word is the same word as the one in the Greek, is in the Hebrew, helpmate. And that's what the Holy Spirit is called in the New Testament, helper. And so God has de- designed everything to reflect who he is, a father and a mother and, a ch- and children. We see that in the elders, the deacon, and the saints. We see that in the mother, the father, and, and you can see that all throughout everything. And as we look here, we can see that uh, the doctrines of Christ, it talks about that there are foundations. So in the house of God, the church has to be the pillar and the ground of truth for doctrine. You know, here's the thing. So many things over many years, I, w- I was raised Roman Catholic, and at the time I was 20, I realized that a lot of the things they were saying were not, didn't line up scripture. I got born again at the University of Northern Iowa. Te- uh, it was, I can't remember what the name of the ministry was, but it's campus ministry came to my room, shared the gospel with me. I got born again, University of Northern Iowa, 1978. I'll never forget it. They came to me and they said this. Remember the knock on the door. My mom had prayed that something would happen that night. You all know the story. I've told it a million times. And that night, they came in and they said, do you believe people are basically good or basically bad? And I'd been raised Roman Catholic all my life, and I said, I believe people are basically good. <laughs> Where did I miss all of sin and come short of the glory of God? Where did I miss Romans 3.10, that there is none righteous, no, not one? Where did I miss that the heart of man is exceedingly wicked and who can know it? In Jeremiah, where did I miss all those scriptures? I had false doctrine. I had a false mindset. Therefore, I had a false understanding of God and salvation. And I thought that by works, you know, if my works, my good works outweighed my bad works, some God, somehow God in the scales of justice in the great courtroom of God before the mighty judge of the universe with the advocate Jesus Christ, I would somehow, he would plead my case and I would be found more good than bad and get to go to heaven. But how many of you know it doesn't work that way? We've, we've all sinned. We're all wicked. We all have a propensity towards evil. And they said to me, we don't believe that. I was almost insulted. But I was really seeking and I was really unhappy and I was really without hope and really uh, a miserable person at that time in my life. And I was really seeking truth. I was reading all kinds of philosophy and all kinds of things. And they said, we believe people are basically and inherently evil. And I thought, well, aren't you negative? A little new age thinking, you know, flowing through my stupid head. And... uh, and I thought, wow, well, I, I think people are pretty good, you know. I, I, I want to believe the best. I want to think of the goodness of man and, and, and the nobleness of man and, 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 and all these things. And I kept thinking, you know, I think they're basically good. And through all, all the bad stuff that happens to them and through their environment and through the way they're raised. And, of course, I never asked where did all that come from. And, and I said they become bad. And they said, we believe that they're basically evil. And only Jesus Christ is sinless. And he died on a cross for you. I mean, it was this simple. And, and, and he died on the cross to take away your sins. That's why he took away sins, because everyone is sinful. And, every, and, and immediately, immediately, it's like the darkness went away and the light came on. I said, that's exactly true. He says, I never met anybody who didn't sin. Instantly, the light came on, and I instantly knew that I was a sinner. How many of you know that's a doctrine of the church, that we're sinners? How many of you know it's a doctrine of the church that Jesus Christ is sinless? How many of you know it's a doctrine of the church that he was our sacrifice? How many of you know it's a doctrine of the church that we need to repent to be born again? 
And suddenly my world changed because somewhere in somebody's church, they'd been taught to go out and do soul winning and to preach true doctrine, and it changed my life in a second. Because the doctrine was right. And my stupid, silly, all mixed up head full of intellectualism and college degrees and all that, all of a sudden got all straightened around suddenly, and I could think right. That's how important it is for the church to keep its doctrine right. Look what it says about doctrine in the Bible. Quickly, turn with me over to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on under perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. I found that foundation that night. Thank God. Because some church person, everybody say church person, the federal government didn't send them. Their mom and dad didn't send them. The church sent them out with the message of the doctrine of the church. It's important. We can see the doctrines of Christ. How many of you know in Acts 2.42, it says they continued, they continued. See, it says if we can continue, uh, and it says uh, of the doctrine of baptism and the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. But it says, leaving the principal doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto, there's, there's more doctrine. And then it says that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. How many of you know it says that in Acts 2.42? So they continued in that teaching. Doctrine is what keeps us in the parameters of God. Turn with me, and I'm going to show you how important doctrine in the local church. The, again, we're talking about being the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth for the body of Christ, the local churches. Turn with me quickly to 2 John, just to show us how important doctrine is in the church, that the church deals with doctrine. It is so important. 2 John 1, 8 through 11, and it says this, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which were which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. In other words, look to yourselves that you don't lose those things which you have wrought or have come to pass, but that we receive our full reward. Whoso transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. Everybody say the doctrine of Christ. You can transgress or not abide in it. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. And he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. When you abide in right doctrine, you abide in the Father. You can't go to heaven believing in Buddha. You can't believe in heaven and believing in the lies of Allah. You can't go to heaven believing in the lies of Hinduism and Islam. You cannot go to heaven. You cannot be born again believing in those lies. You've you got to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The church of God has to keep the doctrines of truth alive in the church. And believe you me, they are trying to be stolen all the time. 86% of the clergy in the United States of America today do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. They do not, the men that stand in the pulpits of America today do not believe in the deity of Christ. They do not believe in the new birth. See, we get all insulated in our little evangelical churches. We don't know that down at, you know, some of the old mainline church down here, they're teaching a whole different liberal agenda. 
See, this, this, this was just a few years ago. It may be a little out of date, but 86% of the clergymen in America do not believe in the five fundamentals of fundamentalism. They do not believe in it. And they're teaching the people. And see, to the degree that the word lives in the preacher, will it live in the congregation? And to the degree that the word lives in the congregation will be the degree that the word lives in that community. But it starts with the preacher. It starts with the house of God. That's why it says in Acts 6 chapter that, that the word of God multiplied it increased. It says the word of God increased because the preachers were allowed to just do the preaching and the, and the praying. And then the people went and fed the Grecian widows. And then it says the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied. See, when it increased in the preacher because all he did was study the word, then it increased in the people that he preached to. And when it increased in the people, it just overflows out of them. And it, and it increases in all the people that they come into contact with. And then you see, and that's the first time in the Bible it goes from then that Lord added to the church. It says, and the Lord and it multiplied. How many of you want to see multiplication instead of just adding to the church? It's the first time it says it, Acts 6, is when the word of God increased in the preacher and increased in the, pul- in, in the pew and in the pulpit. When the word of God increases up here in the pew, it'll increase out there in the pulpit. When it increases in the pulpit, the Bible says it'll be multiplied out among the people in the community. Of course, the word that you know is the word that you do. See, you, you know it when you do it. That's how you know the doctrine, it says in, Jan- in John 7. It says, here's how we know that the doctrine is true, is when we do it and we find out that it actually is truth and it works. Okay, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of things. You know, the Bible says that in the last days, the Spirit speaks expressly that many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. See, we've got doctrines of demons. We've got pulpits filled with men who don't believe the Bible. And we wonder why the government's messed up. We wonder why the family's messed up. See, the house of God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And if it goes bad and it goes sour and it turns away to non-truths, it affects, let me tell you something, society doesn't have a chance. Because the word preparers and the word equippers, if they go bad, then the people don't know where to go. Let's go to number two. Policy for the house of government. Isaiah 33, 22, the Bible says that the Lord is our lawgiver, judge, and king. And you've heard that many times. Lawgiver is our legislative branch. Judge is our judicial branch. King is our executive branch. In Exodus 18, 14 through 24, we got the scenario. Moses comes along, and Jethro, he's out, been there for 40 years, been trained by Jethro, who's a priest. Moses is a type of lawgiver, judge, and king. He was a lawgiver. He was a judge, and he had executive powers given to him by God. Acts 7, chapter tells us that. We can see that because he was a picture of government, then we have Jethro, who's a picture of the church. He's a priest of Midian. And he comes and he trains Moses and prepares him to be the greatest leader of the Old Testament. And, you know, Moses sat under Pharaoh and he came out a flop. He killed somebody and they said, you expect us to follow you, dude? Who, who, who made you to rule over us? What the great, great government of the world, the house of Pharaoh, could not do, the house of Jethro could do. Prepared Moses to lead God's people. And so Moses comes along and he's leading God's people out. We've got the Exodus. Now he's got 600,000 people. Some people believe a million people. He's trying to judge them all day long. And his father-in-law comes to him and says, dude, what you're doing is going to kill you and it's going to kill these people. He says, you need to get some delegation. You need to get some things going. You need to be praying. You need to be showing. You need to be teaching. You need to be delegating. You need to be getting some helpers here. And he walked him through the first actual skeletal structure of the form of government, Republican form of government that we have in America today that's proven to be the most successful in the world. And he showed him, he said, here, decentralize this thing and get a whole bunch of people down to thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. That's like federal government, state government, local government, and so on and so forth. 
He says, and if you'll do what I say, God will be with you. And he says, choose godly men that fear God, hate covetousness, men of truth, able men, out from among you, not professionals. And what you'll see is this thing will get fixed. So we have this situation where policy came from the house of God. The priest of Midian, that represents the house of God. Moses, who is lawgiver, judge, and king, is like the house of government. And we see the equipper coming to those who need to be equipped and telling them how to do this thing. And suddenly Moses, it all starts making sense, and it all starts working, and God is with him, and he begins to overcome. Because what? Because the house of God is the pillar and the ground of truth. The house of Jethro was the pillar and the ground of the truth. The house of Pharaoh was the pillar and the ground of government, but the house of truth was the house of Jethro. Somebody say amen. And he brought the truth to Moses, and he gave us the greatest government that's ever been in the history of mankind. So the house of policy, the house of truth, is to affect and bring policy to the house of government. We can see that Samuel and, and Saul, we've heard this many times, Samuel is the prophet, Saul was the king, and Samuel appointed and anointed Saul. And that's, you know, we can anoint and appoint, we can pray for and vote for. You, you, you pray for them, they're anointed. You vote for them, they get appointed. And then he came... And after he anointed him and appointed him, he directed and, and inspected him. He told him to go down to Agag and kill all the bad guys, the cancer. And uh, Saul goes down there and he doesn't do it. He comes back with the animals. He comes back with the king. And so he directed him to do that, but then he inspected him to see if he did that. We can do that with our elected officials. We can direct them. We can write letters to them. Then we can inspect and look at their voting record later on and see if they actually did it. Somebody say amen. We, the church, the house of God, the pillar and the ground of truth, should be overseeing the house of government. And then when you look at that, and when they don't obey and they continually disobey, then what we do is we reprove them and remove them. Paul, excuse me, Saul reproved, excuse me, Samuel reproved Saul, and then he removed Saul and says, I'm going to replace you with a better man. How do we reprove him? We can send him letters. We can confront him. I, I remember talking to Bill or to uh, Grassley, Senator Grassley, Chuck Grassley, about the Senate Amendment, the Johnson Amendment. I said, okay, let me see. Do I, are, are my religious liberties protected when I can't tell my people in my church who to vote for? Do I, is that religious liberty? He looked at me and says, you know, Pastor, you're absolutely right. We have not protected your religious liberty because you don't get to say who to vote for, do you? I go, no, I don't because I'm a 501c3. And I can't tell my people directly who to vote for. And I'd like to. But I don't need to because you're all smart enough to figure it out on your own. Because I've taught you. But the bottom line is, he said, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. He said, I need to do something about that. I go, you're right. <laughs> then I said, you're right. And so I really believe that. And so we are called the house of God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And how does it affect the house of government? Through policy. Samuel vetted candidates, and they brought big, tall, handsome candidates before Samuel down at the house of Jethro. He says, there's going to be a new king, new president. And bring out the candidates. Man, they had almost as many as we do this year. I think there were seven of them or something. And they were all tall and handsome. I mean, I've been around those guys. They're all taller than me, you know. But he said, don't look upon their height. Look upon their heart. And that little guy that's out there in the back 40, he's taking care of the sheep. He's the Goliath killer, not these dudes. God says he's the one. 
And again, who was that? That was the preacher. That was the prophet choosing the king, recognizing the king. Today we call that vetting. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Recognition of who the right guy is. Second Chronicles, we have Uzziah. And as long as he obeyed Zechariah the prophet, it says he prospered. Then Zechariah goes out of the picture, and all of a sudden he goes in, he starts to raid the house of God. He goes in and thinks he's going to burn incense. That's called government encroachment on the church. Second Chronicles 26. And we got old Uzziah over there. He was the boyhood king that sat under the tutelage. And, and you know, it says it in a very unique way. You look in the RSV translation, it says, and, the, and he sought... as. This is Uzziah, sought God in the days of Zechariah, who was a minor prophet of some kind, who had understanding and visions and, uh, of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. God made this king to prosper as long as he sought the Lord. Well, see, it says here in another translation, it says, as long as he was with Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. Here is the prophet instructing the king in the fear of God. Again, the house, the pillar, and the ground of the truth, the house of God, bringing policy and truth, which brings prosperity to the king. Can I get an amen? And then when the king tried to go in and burn incense in the house of God, it was the priests that threw him out and said, no, you cannot encroach. When the government begins to encroach and tell us how we define marriage, when the government begins to tell us how we're supposed to uh, understand life and how it's supposed to be defined, and they start shoving that down, Arthur, we should be pushing back like those priests and says, get out of the house of God. You don't know what you're talking about. You really don't know what you're talking about. You're not the pillar in the ground of the truth. We are. Somebody say amen. So I believe that in all faith and practice, it's so important that we understand that, you know, we're Nathan. The house of God is Nathan. And even when King David, how many of you think David was a pretty good king? David is the king after God's own heart. And it was still the prophet had to go to the king. The prophet Nathan had to go to the king David and said, dude, you're wrong. You need to repent. This deal with Bathsheba and killing her, her husband. Wow. See, it shouldn't just be the courts going after a Hillary Clinton. It should be some clergymen. Chuck Curley's got Terry Branstad's priest going after him about this Planned Parenthood stuff. Thank God for the Chuck Hurleys of the world. Can I get an amen? Who happens to know Terry Branstad's priest? And the priest should be going after some of these guys. They should be talking to them. Amen. Faith and practice for the house of family. Let's finish up here with the house of family. We've already talked about the house of God, how important it is for the pillar in the ground of the church to keep the church house doctrine clean and right and true. We just talked about how the pillar in the ground of the truth, the local church, and the prophets which represent the church should be keeping the kings on track with what God's word says. Somebody say amen. You know, and, and historically, oh my gosh, historically, De Tocqueville came over and says, what, what's the greatness of America? And he says, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and her power. The Constitution, 34% of its 3,154 quotes uh, came from the Bible. <laughs> the Constitution, 29 of the 56 signers had seminary degrees. That's church, folk. That's the house of God. That's the pillar in the ground of the truth. The Declaration of Independence came from John Locke, a theologian. Two treatises of government, 1,500 references to Scripture. That man, that's the house of God talking. 
The Declaration of Independence, 17 of the grievances came straight from Puritan sermons authored by the clergy of America. That's the house of God speaking. That's the, the pillar on the ground of the church speaking to government. The Black Robe Regiment speaking to government. The house of God, the pillar of the truth speaking to government. 320 years of election sermons. That's the house of God speaking to government. Somebody say amen. See, this is what Brother Bob does. He's trying to get pastors involved in government. This is what he does for a living. This is what his initiative is is to get the pillar and the ground of truth to begin to do its job, not only just in the church house, but in the house of government and hopefully in the house of family. Let's go to that one quickly before we run out of time. So the pillar and the ground of the truth is faith and practice for the house of the family. Three institutions, three houses, the house of government, the house of God, and the house of family. Government, the church, family. God's three institutions that he created. But the house of God has a unique relationship to the other two. It's the equipper. It's the word carrier. It's the word preparer. It's the word place. It's the word production center. Not produ- I shouldn't say production. Hopefully they're not pre- you know, creating any new. But it's a place where sermons come out. It's a place where uh, books come out. It's where periodicals and magazines come out. Where declarations and, and things come out. And activities and, and uh, initiatives come forth with the word of God. Hopefully. That's hopefully if a church is healthy. And the, and the house of, of the family, the government is the father, the mother, and the child. Genesis 127 tells us the reason, the purpose for the family is to be the image of God. God created man uh, in his own image, created he, male, and female. And not only did he just create an image, but then he makes a delineation between male and female. And then he tells them what their purpose was. Be blessed. And he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and be multiplying and replenishing and subduing and taking dominion. He gives the family its purpose and its great commission to go out. And now we've got a great commission to get people born again and build a family spiritually in in Mark 16 and 15, where it says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. But this was a great commission for them to go out and create natural children. Of course, this was before the fall. And it was a great commission to be blessed, to be fruitful, to be multiplying, to subdue and take dominion. He gave definition of the family as one male and one female. He took one female out of Adam, created this female out of his rib, made this beautiful uh, partner, this helpmate. It was not good for man to be alone. He needed a helpmate. And he made this beautiful helpmate and then reunited and made him one in the image of God. And it wasn't Adam and Steve. It was Adam and Eve. So we have this definition of the family. We have this purpose of the family. We have this great call and what the family is to reflect, God's image. And it's supposed to be fruitful. It's supposed to be multiplying. It's supposed to be subduing. It's supposed to be taking dominion. And no one can do that better than a man and his wife. Harvard study did a, did a, uh, a study of the most successful CEOs in America, and they found the one common denominator among the most successful men alive in America is because they all had good marriages. Somebody say amen. A good marriage is, will, will make you more of a success than all the success training you can ever get in a book or at a seminar. Somebody say amen. amen. And that women were made for men and that they came from men and that they're a helpmate. It gives purpose and roles to the family. And this should all be coming from the house of truth. This should all be coming from the pillar in the ground of the church. Pillar in the ground of the truth, which is the church. This type of teaching should be coming because the church should be teaching the word of God. Can I get an amen? So for the house of family, it is the pillar in the ground of the truth for the family. It's the pillar in the ground of the truth for politics. It's the pillar in the ground of the truth for church doctrine. 
and getting people saved. It's the pillar in the ground of the church for every institution. It's not just the pillar in the ground uh, of truth for church stuff. It's the pillar in the ground of truth for society, for culture, for politics, for civics, for everything that pertains to life and godliness. That the man of God will be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. It doesn't say that about the dad or the politician. It says that the preacher, the man of God, is thoroughly equipped for every, everybody say, every good work. Thoroughly. Not that the man of God is anything, but he is the carrier of the word. It's the word of God that equips us thoroughly for everything in life. That's why the church is a unique institution in the midst of the other two. God's image, all these things. It teaches you how to train your children in Deuteronomy. In the morning and in the night, coming in and then going out, putting on the walls on the doorposts of your house and and teaching them with all visual, with all verbal, in every way, inculcating your children. Great shall be, and it says, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. How many of you know the children need peace today? How many kids are on drugs today? With attention deficit disorders and all, and, and all these different drugs. That all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. The next generation is being destroyed with false ideas from school and, and false solutions for their, un, their unpeacefulness. <laughs> Lack of peace, I think, is the way I should say that. I don't know if unpeacefulness is a word or not, but anyway. <laughs> the pillar in the ground of the truth has those answers. And the preacher in the house of God is the only one that does this next one that, that's really uncomfortable. Matter of fact, I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. And it talks about the preacher. And this is, this is what takes place in the house of truth, which you're not going to find anyplace else anymore. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. This is 2 Timothy 4.1. Who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by the light of his coming and his kingdom. Herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by at hand and ready, whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable. How many of you have ever preached in an unfavorable opportunity? Whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether it is welcome or unwelcome. You know, I've even had to preach when it wasn't welcome. And some of your faces have even shown it. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just kidding. Say, what time is it? It's time to go eat lunch, Pastor Bill. You fed us enough. No. But uh, look what this says. This is really, this is a fun one. Whether it be welcome or unwelcome, you are, as a preacher of the word, are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. Well, that'll go over in Seeker Church. And convince them, rebuking them, and correcting and warning and urging and encouraging them, being unflagging and inflexible in patience and teaching. How many of you know that doesn't go on very many places anymore? It doesn't even go on in very many churches anymore. Because nobody wants to be corrected. Nobody wants to be wrong. It's my way or the highway. See, and then it goes on. It says, in the last days, many will depart from the faith. In another place, it says, for the time will come where they'll not endure sound doctrine, but they'll be turned unto fables and fictions. They'll turn from sound. In other words, sound doctrine is truth. They'll turn from truth and they'll be like 2 Thessalonians. They'll love a lie and they'll be turned over to delusion so that they will be damned for not loving the truth. And the church of God is the pillar and the ground 
of the truth. See, they won't receive sound doctrine. See, sound doctrine creates sound people. Sound people create sound families. Sound families create sound churches. Sound churches create sound communities. Sound communities create sound local governments. Sound local governments and constituents create sound state and federal governments. But it all begins with sound doctrine because the pillar and the ground of the truth is the local church where doctrine emanates from. How many of you feel like this thing we do on Sunday mornings? Maybe you've got a little higher consciousness of how important it is. It is very important what we do here. It is very important that we get involved with families. It's very important that we get involved with institutions of government. The church interacts with the family in a very unique way. You know, Pat, you know I, I could go serve for 50 years as a senator and never know the things that I learn from what happens when a child is born out of wedlock. What happens to a mother when she aborts her child and lives with that horrible, horrible regret? What happens when two homosexuals live together, the depravity that takes place in their minds? See, no legislator will ever know that, but I got to deal with the hard reality of the facts of what that really does to people and the real effects of it. And so do you, church people. And no one can understand that apart from the pillar and the ground of the truth. And no one cares to understand that. But this is where we take it. This is where we take in all the ill effects of wrong policy and then try to fix it with spiritual right doctrine. Can I get an amen? This is where we come and try to fix with all the nonsense that goes on in wrong thinking in families, thinking that, you know, a family is three guys and an adopted girl. Well, guess, guess who's going to ultimately, maybe a couple generations later, going to deal with the fallout of that mess? When somebody comes themselves and comes wandering through our door. Because somebody in policy said, well, that's all right. We can do that. That'll work. With no insight of the, insight of the generational curses and damage that it'll do. That somebody's going to have to clean up someday. Somebody say Amen. See, no one really holds that position like the pillar and the ground of the truth does. We got a great job to do, guys. We got a great responsibility. We've got this great thing called the church that is so devaluated today in culture. And they're just stupid church people over there. I mean, come on. All my degrees just trumps all that stupid church stuff. No, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And they can say there's no such thing as truth, but that's a false statement. (laughs) Let's all stand up. Let's go before the Lord.